Oh, blessed be the name of the Lord. Are you a worshiper this morning? Are you rising to a position? Are you rising to a new place? That doesn't just mean standing up in your seat, but he's been said, bride, rising in power, rising in authority, rising to where we are to be in this day to claim every promise, claim everything that's in the word for us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What a wonderful atmosphere you've created. What a wonderful atmosphere when we invite him because he always shows up. And he's here this morning. I walked out the door and it hit me like a ton of bricks. I'm not sure how it feels out there, but I know that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is in this place. He's in this building today to meet your needs, to break the chains off your life. He's here this morning and there's worshipers arising saying, I see him, I recognize him, I'm one of those. Oh, hallelujah. A bride arising. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Let's talk to him now. Father, you're so good. Lord, you're so wonderful, Lord. Lord, that you would be so mindful of us to come by here this morning. Lord, and just to let us feel your presence one more time. Just once more, Lord. Lord, how we thank you. Lord, I pray this morning, Lord, that even as you gave me the word, Lord, it can be dispensed to the people. Lord, my thoughts go in a million different directions, Lord. Lord, not because you didn't give me something, but just so overwhelmed by it all, Lord, and trying to figure out where to take it, how to say it. Lord, God, that a people would recognize who they are and where we're standing, Lord, on the cusp of eternity. Lord, that once again, the word made flesh is standing on the earth today. Lord, I pray you'll just help us, Lord, to speak your word. Lord, anoint, Lord, I pray, anoint the years to receive. Lord, may there be a people recognize they don't have to stay beat down. They don't have to stay walking in the mully grubs, Lord, of life. Lord, but they've been called and set to a position. Lord, and as Esther was, there's a king this morning that's accepting them. There's a king that's extending the scepter saying, come into my presence. Ask what you will. Have what you will. I'm here for you even to have the kingdom. It's yours. Help us, Father, I pray. Lord, we give you this service. We give you the word. We ask that you will move in our midst. Lord, we know you will. I ask you to move me out of the way now, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Isn't God good to us? If you'll open your Bibles to the book of Revelation, the third chapter, we'll get right into the word. Revelation 3.14. Hallelujah. We just thank him for his goodness, his mercy, his love to us in our lives. We're going to read just verse 14, then we're going to move down to verse 21, and then we're going to go to chapter 10. Three different readings. Revelation 3.14, and unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, these things saith the amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Verse 21, to him that overcometh, I'll, I'll find myself right there this morning, to him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and sat down with my father in his throne. Right there, the word says that there's going to be overcomers. The word has already declared it, and the word is the final say, so we know that scripture will be fulfilled. Someone is going to overcome Laodicea. Revelation 10, 7, and we'll read through verse 11. Scripture we all should know well. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished as he hath declared to his servants, the prophets. 
And the voice which I heard from heaven spake unto me again and said, Go and take the little book, which is open in the hand of the angel, which standeth upon the sea and upon the earth. And I went unto the angel and said unto him, Give me the little book. And he said unto me, Take it and eat it up, and it shall make thy belly bitter, but it shall be in thy mouth sweet as honey. And I took the little book out of the angel's hands and ate it, ate it up. And it was in my mouth sweet as honey. And as soon as I had eaten it, my belly was bitter. And he said unto me, thou must prophesy again before many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. Amen. I pray God will add his blessing to the word now as you are seated. Wonderful scriptures that we've read, wonderful words of life, so much there that we can digest. And we just want to try to find God's leadership this morning on, on which direction and how to take this. Last time that we, we spoke here in the church, we, we, we spoke on the final say. And I want to continue along that thought this morning. And, and my title today would be the final say in the final voice, the final say in the final voice. We established last time the, the, the supreme authority of God in and over every situation. All right, that there is only one who has the final say, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Our opening scriptures would describe him as the amen, the faithful and the true witness. Brother Brown would pick up the, this and he says, I looked up in the dictionary Webster's according to Webster's. It's perfect in itself. Talking about a, uh, amen, unlimited in its power, primarily an ultimate and an ultimate is the amen. It's unlimited in power. An absolute, it's used many times. It's the last word. It's the amen. It's unlimited. There's nothing else in its way. It's the supreme. It's the ultimate. And an ultimate is when it's because you've reached the end. It's the amen. That's all. He says, that's what he is. The amen. See, he's got the last word to say. He is the amen this morning. Aren't you glad that it's him that's holding the final say in your life? Look, it's not the doctor's report this morning that's the final say. It's not my opinion of you or Brother Joe's opinion of you or another man's opinion of you that is the final say. It's not what the enemy has told you and the plans that the enemy has made for your life that is the final say. But the very one who formed the galaxies, the very one who blew the sun, the moon, and the stars off the palm of his hands, he looked at your life and he made plans for your life. Life. And he said, I hold you in these hands. I have the final say over your life, regardless of circumstance, regardless of what the devil's tried to do. He told Peter, the devil desires to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you. So it doesn't matter what the plan is of the enemy today in your life. That doesn't matter. My God holds the final say in your life. He is the I am God. He is the amen. And that means that not only does he have the final say this morning, he is the final say. Amen. Amen. That's how we can rest this morning. Brother, Brother Timothy was preaching about a place of rest and being unshaken. That, that's how we can have rest when things that, that we can't comprehend or things that we don't understand. When these, when these things are happening, we can still rest because we know whose hand we're in. It would be extremely troubling and hard to deal with within ourselves if every time things turned upside down or every time we lost a loved one, if we felt like the enemy had won. 
Oh, the enemy came in and, and took that person. The enemy's doing this to me. And if we felt that way, we would feel beat down all the time because things are constantly happening to us. All right, if we, if we felt like the enemy had the final say in the life of our loved one who passed on, but we can rest knowing that the final say rested in the hands of the master. All right, there was no defeat. And even if we can't wrap our minds around it or, or understand why, God's hand was in it because the devil never has the final say in a believer's life. He never has the final say. Brother Joe did an incredible job on Wednesday night uh, pre preaching about the plan of God and how it will never be defeated. The purpose of God in your life will never be defeated. Listen, stormy skies, rough waters, dark trials, they are not signs of sin in your life. They are not signs of God's displeasure in your life. Those are not, look, I'm going through a tough trial. That means God picked you out to defeat that thing. God looked at you and he said, I've got confidence in that one. They'll stand, they'll overcome, they'll rise above it. And he picked you out. It's not a sign of his displeasure. It's not a sign that, that Satan is gaining any kind of victory over you. But many times it's just molding and testing and trying. And yet all things are working together for your good. Sure, Satan wants to destroy you, but he can do nothing unless permitted by God. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace, and not of evil to give you an expected end. Right here, thoughts in Jeremiah 29 means plans. I know what I've already planned for you. I know the end of the story. I already know. Listen, church, of all people, we should know what the end of the story is. We should know that look, the seals have been taken off. We've read the back of the book. We know what's going to happen. The rest of it's just drama. You know, if you take, uh, uh, I, I, I get onto my daughter all the time because she'll get a book and the first thing she wants to do is read the end of it. I say, why do you do that? Because the rest of it doesn't make me nervous then. The rest of it doesn't matter. I already know how it's going to turn out. Come on, church. The rest of it shouldn't make us nervous this morning. We already know how it's going to turn out. We've already seen the back of the book. The rest of it's just drama. It's just getting there. I know I'm going to get there. I know what's going to happen. I know how it ends. Victory, eternity, everlasting life, health, healing, victory over death, hell, and the grave. I know how it's going to turn out. Amen. Satan's plans just don't matter. Satan began making plans in heaven to be exalted and worshipped. And when that didn't go as planned, we see him in the garden making plans. Bringing deception. A plan to regain position. A plan to regain authority by causing man to fall. And he brings a twisted version of the word in the garden. He changes one little word. Just a reminder here. It all matters. Every part of it matters. Every word matters. The parts you don't like, well, I hope you like it all, but look, how, how about the parts that are hard? They matter. If it's hard on you, they, they probably matter the most. Every part of it matters. He comes and he twists one little word and he causes Adam's bride to fall. And then Adam falls with her. And the whole earth under Adam falls. All creation 
everything that was under Adam because he was God of the earth. It's now in a fallen condition and, th- and Satan thinks I've won. I've accomplished. I'm back. I'm back to where I wanted to be. I'm back in power. Sin and death is now going to reign in these mortal bodies. But right there in that moment, in the darkest moment of earth's history, love projects and a savior is promised. And when God says something, it's the absolute. When God says something, it's the amen. Brother Brown says there in the garden that morning when sin was so black, Jehovah come in. There stood his couple standing condemned. There would be no more human race. They had to die. Death on the human race. Give the world back to wild beasts. And there'd be no more human race. But in that darkest of hour, in that time when all hopes was gone, grace come pouring through. How many is thankful for grace this morning? Says, I'll give you a savior, a Messiah. Oh, it's wonderful how God could ever do it. God's amazing grace in the Garden of Eden that give them that promise of just one, of a just one who would come through, who would come through the woman. The woman's seed shall bruise the serpent's head, the guilty one. I love how he says that. Not you're the guilty one, but he's going to bruise the serpent's head, the guilty one. And his head shall bruise her heel to show there had been an affliction to the church. But he promised a triumph. What provided that Savior? It was grace. I'm not going to have time to deal with this and go down this. But just for a minute, as, as I came across it, it did, it did my heart so good. And I found, found some quotes. But not only did he come to redeem you and I, but his, but his creation of earth is going to be redeemed. Earth is going to be redeemed. Everything that Satan thought he destroyed, not only did he think he destroyed the human race, but he destroyed Eden. He destroyed this wonderful earth. He had made it a place of his Eden, of darkness, of death, of dying. And he says, no, no, no. But when the blood of God fell and struck the earth. Hallelujah. He said that blood fell and it struck the earth. And he said, now the earth has gone through justification and sanctification and it's going to get a baptism of fire. He said, but earth struck, but the blood struck that earth, which you were a part of these bodies being pulled from the earth. And he says that earth will be redeemed for Jesus and his bride. Going back over a few things, because I just want to reestablish in our minds that God is in control. His word is the absolute. He is the final say. And he is limitless in his power. Get that in our minds today that our God is limitless. And that's important to know because, you know, Satan does have power. Satan does have power. And yet if you go and you'll stack them up and compare the two, one is extremely limited and one is limitless. One has limitations on it. One has no limitations on it. And let me go ahead and tell you, the one that is unlimited is our conqueror. The one that is unlimited is our savior. The one that is unlimited is our chief captain. We are on the side of limitless power. And we're going up against one who is limited. The powers that Satan possess are subject to the word of God. God says stop. He has to stop. Sickness is commanded to go, it has to go. A storm is commanded to to peace be still, it has to cease. Because the power of God is unlimited and the power of Satan has limitations. It is limited by the power of the word. It is limited by the power of the Holy Spirit. When he's told that's far enough, oh come on church. When he's told that's far enough, that's far enough. He has to stop. I say there's got to be some people this morning that say, Satan, that's far enough. You've gone far enough. You won't take another step in my life. 
You won't take another step in my home. You're not taking another step in my promises. That is far enough. You've done all you're going to do. There's going to be no more robbing me of my joy. No more robbing me of my blessings of my children. You have gone far enough. It's time to look at the storm and say, peace be still this morning. It's time that we begin to operate in the privileges and remember all your benefits that have been given unto you. Devil, you will not have the final say in my life. You will not have the final say in my health. You will not have the final say in my walk with the Lord. There's going to be no more robbing me because he's subject to the word of God. So take the word of God and apply it to your situation. There's going to be no more robbing me of my praise. Look, there's victory in your praise. And that's why he wants to rob you of your praise. So many times we think when I get victory, I'm going to shout. When I get victory, I'm going to dance. When I get victory, how happy I'm going to be. That's fine. And those things happen. But sometimes victory is on the other side of the praise. Sometimes victory is over there. And how do I get to it? I'm going to praise my way to it. I'm going to thank him for it. I'm going to shout. I'm going to dance. I'm going to sing. I'm going to say, thank you, Lord Jesus. And the devil's trying to get you to sit down and shut up. I can't. My victory's right over there. And I'm going to praise my way to it. I mentioned this to Brother Derek the other day because he had a bad day Wednesday. It was bad. He told me about it. I was like, man, I had a good day compared to that. But I never would have known it. I never would have picked it up. Listen, if I can tell that you had a bad day when you come in on Wednesday night, you're doing it wrong. If I can look at you and say they had a bad day, then you don't know how church works. Leave your junk out there. I had a bad day at work. This ain't work. I had a bad day at home. This ain't home. This is where I come to praise God. This is where I come to worship God. Not I'm going to sit here mully grub and maybe I'll enter in later. No, sir, you're doing it wrong. But I'm here to say thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I love you. Your mercies are great. They endure forever. Your grace is amazing. Yes, I had a bad day, but Lord, not from you. You were awesome today. That's why we come to church. Turn loose and forget those things. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. He deserves all we got when we come here. Not I need 27 minutes to warm up. I know the circumstances of life are hard. Oh, come on. I have bad days. We all do. I'm not always perfect in church. That's not what I'm saying. Preaching to me too. I'm just saying, why are we here? Don't sit here and dwell on tomorrow. Don't sit here and think about what happened during the day today. Think about what he's done for us. Circumstances of life are difficult. But remember that he is a God that defies circumstances. Come on, church. He is a God that defies symptoms. He is a God that defies logic. You may be in a bad spot this morning. You may have been going through a rough patch. But he promised to be here this morning. He promised that he would be in our midst. He promised that he was going to show up. And when he shows up, it changes everything. When he walks up to the grave, it changes everything. When he speaks, nothing else matters because he is the final say. 
It doesn't matter how long you've been in that sick condition this morning. It doesn't matter how long you've carried that bitterness and that unforgiveness this morning. It doesn't matter how long you've been in sin this morning. It doesn't matter how bad things have been at work. It doesn't matter if the man was in the grave for four days. None of that mattered. He didn't walk up and say, if I'd only been here, he'd have lived. If I'd only showed up sooner. But he walked up and he said, where have you laid him? Well, where have you laid him? Where have you laid the things that Satan tried to rob from you? Where have you laid your hopes and dreams this morning? Where have you laid the ones you've given up on this morning? Because he's walking up this morning. Where have you laid your hopes? Where have you laid the things that you gave up on and just said they'll never happen? Where have you laid them this morning? Where's your joy buried? Where's your peace buried at this morning? He's walking up to the tomb of Lazarus this morning. He's walking up to your tomb this morning. Where is he buried at? My peace was robbed from me at a young age. Things have been taken from me. Things came in your childhood. Things scarred you. People hurt you. People did you wrong. Till you begin to believe the lie that, that, that you're not worth anything. You're not worth very much anymore. You're a nobody. Nobody cares about you. You're of no value to anyone anymore. You're not worthy. And those scars became your grave clothes. And you got all wrapped up in those things. And they're binding you this morning. And they're binding you in your walk. And the devil put you in a tomb. And he rolled a stone over your life. And he rolled a stone over the person that God intended you to be all along. And death and corruption have had their say. But corruption knew its master. Oh, death had its say, corruption had its say, but corruption knew its master. Sin may have had its say in your life. Depression may have had its say in your life. Anxiety's been ruling your life. You can't break free. There's chains and there's grave clothes, but there's one here this morning that has the final say. Those say don't matter anymore when he walks up to your tomb and he says, come forth, come forth. Break free from those things. Break free from sin. Break free from shame. Break forth. Come forth this morning. Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. And Jesus said unto them, loose him and let him go. Jesus had the final say that morning. Those grave clothes can't hold you if you want to come forth this morning. That sin can't hold you if you want to come forth this morning. Back in Genesis, God had promised a redeemer. God had promised a savior, and here he is. 4,000 years later, the manifestation of all the Old Testament prophecies. God with skin on him, doing the works of God, but in humanity. A second Adam. Brother Branham says he is the God of the amen. He never changes. What he does never changes. He says it and it stands fast. He does it and it is done forever. None can take from what he says or add to it. So let it be. So let it be. Aren't you glad that you serve that kind of God this morning? You know exactly where you are with him at any time and all the time. He is the amen God and won't change. These things saith the amen. I like that. It means that whatever he said is final. 
It means that whatever he said to the first age and to the second and to all the ages about his own true church and about the false vine is exactly right and it won't change. It means that what he started out with in Genesis, he will finish in Revelation. Aren't you glad for that? What he started out with in Genesis, he will finish in Revelation. He starts the plan of redemption right there in Genesis and then down down through time, every story that's told, every type, every life lived is building towards the manifestation of a redeemer. Types and shadows and prophecies, they're all pointing toward his coming. A spoken word, son of God, born of a virgin, one who would restore, one who would wipe away tears, one who would wipe away the curse of death, one who would make the blind to see, one who would make the deaf to, to hear, and one who would make the lame to walk, and one who would bridge the gap and bring man and God back into fellowship once again. And here he stands, stands there on the earth doing God things. In the body of a man, the full manifestation of all the word doing exactly what the word said he would do. And the whole time, what's amazing about it, Brother Joe, is the entire time Satan has been trying to stop the plan. Ever since the book of Genesis, ever since the fall, recognizing that God's trying to work this out and he's trying to stop it. And he's trying to move here and he's trying to stop this seed and he's trying to stop this one here and he's trying to ruin this one and he's trying to kill this one and he's trying to stop this one. If you hadn't figured it out yet, he can't stop it. If you hadn't figured it out yet, he's tried to stop you and he's tried to bury you and he's tried to hinder you. But this seed came to this one and this one came through this world war and it came down here and it came to there and this one met this one. You're like, why is all this happening? My life's a mess. Your life's not a mess. It was orchestrated by almighty God and here you sit this morning because his plan was working the whole time. Here you are because God had the final say over your life. No matter what he tried, no matter what he did. He may not have realized it, but he's playing right into the hands of God. Right into the plan of God. We see it with Hitler. How awful that is. How terrible. The murder of millions of Jews. Brother Branham said that was the tender hand of Jehovah. Moving them right back to where they're supposed to be. How many times is he moving us to where we're supposed to be? And it seems like the devil's wearing me out. And God knows, no, no, no. I know the plans I've made. I know the plans I've made. And he's just moving you. And Satan thinks, oh, I got him. Oh, I'm moving. Yeah, he's moving me. All right. Moving me right into a place where I can receive the promise. Moving me right into a place. Oh, sure. They were mad when they got, got taxed in the days of Joseph and Mary. And they had to go back. But it was all in the plan of God. All moving according to the plan of God. Thinking that he's doing something. Even with the crucifixion of Jesus, Brother Brown said, had he known, he would have never let that blood be shed. Had he known, he would have never killed him. He'd have tried to protect him. Stay back. Don't touch him. Nope, nope, nope. I don't want this blood shed. But once again, thinking he was doing his worst, thinking he was winning, once again, he was playing right into redemption's plan. That's why it seems so many times that Satan, it seems that Satan is so successful. He's doing so much. He's ruined this earth. He's attacked my family. It seems that he's so successful and yet he's a total and absolute failure. God allows what looks like victories for him. And yet it's all working towards total victory for you. 
God says, I know the plans that I've made for you. And the plan of God will not be and cannot be stopped because our God is the final say. Listen, Satan operates in the now. He has to react to it. Oh, wait, God did this. Now I'm happy. Wait, what's he doing? He got me last time. He got you every time. But but how am I going to react? I'm I'm trying to figure it out. And yet God's plan was finalized before the foundation of the world, knowing exactly how the devil will react to everything that he did and making it turn and work exactly to to his plan and work for your good. How's he going to stop you from getting your name written on the land's book of life when it was written on the book of life before the foundation of the world? How can he stop something from happening and that's already happened? He can't do it. You've already been seen in the vision. Your name's already been written down. Your names are engraved in the palms of his hand. What's he going to do about it? Nothing. He can't do a thing about it. He can't stop the end from coming to pass. It's already been written. So what are you worried about? What are you tore up about? Oh, am I going to make it? Oh, well, what if the devil does this? And what if I mess up today? The amen's already spoke. The amen's already spoken. Your name's already been written down. Look, he can no more stop you than he can stop Jesus. He couldn't stop Joseph. It just fulfilled the plan of God. He couldn't stop Job. He just ended up getting blessed twice as much as he was before. He failed to stop Jesus. He couldn't stop the true church that was born there on the day of Pentecost. He tried to stomp it out with persecution. He fed them the lines. He burned them at the stake. He covered it up with false doctrines. He tried to make the church cold and formal. He ate the leaves off the tree where the tree was totally bare. But the amen had already written in the word, I will restore. Before he ever ate one leaf off the tree, before he did one thing, the I am looked down and said, I'm going to restore what the devil's going to do. The amen had already spoke. Behold, I send unto you Elijah the prophet. Sure, he ate the leaves off the tree. Sure, he ate it down. But then out comes Luther. Then out comes Wesley. Already put there in the plan of redemption, in the plan of restoration. I will restore. Here comes Luther. Here comes Wesley. I send you Elijah the prophet. Out comes William Branham. Out goes a message from that. And out from that message comes you, a people. Upon the face of the earth once again, birthed by the very word of God. Can't you see that we're walking in the very plan of God? That we're literally walking. Look, it's incredible when you open up the Bible and you can look and you can see, oh, okay, well, Satan tried this. And I see where God countered it there. And God had already planned for that here. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and look at this mighty person here and this mighty prophet. And then he did this and he did that. Wait a minute. That's me. Wait, mama, that's me. The plan was all for me. Redemption was all for me. Salvation was all for me. Satan said, I'm going to destroy him. I'm going to ruin him. I'm going to cover him up. I'm going to wrap him in grave clothes. But he came to the grave this morning all for me. And he called my name. And he said, Aaron, come forth. Come forth from that. Walk in freedom. Walk in power, walk in victory. It's all for me. The plan of God unfolding just for you. Not stopped, not hindered, but what he started in Genesis, marching right on all the way to Revelation, the full plan of redemption 
the plan to have a bride. What he started in Genesis carried all the way over, finished in Revelation. See, the whole time, the word was not only pointing to a second Adam. It was also pointing to another Eve, an Eve that would not fall. Joseph, rejected by his brothers, takes a Gentile bride, a queen accepted by the king and given even half the kingdom there in Esther. A bride that is redeemed by a kinsman in Ruth. One thing after another. Pointing to it. A determined God. I will have a bride that will not fall. An enemy determined. I'm going to stop it. Confident that just like in the garden. He would make this bride fall. And a God so sure that you wouldn't. He said. I'm going to go prepare a place. So confident that you would make it. So confident that you'd overcome. So confident that the deposit that he placed on the inside of you would manifest itself in this last day. He said, I don't even got to worry about it. I go to prepare a place that where I am, there you may be also. He knows you're coming. He knows you're going to make it. He provided the way. He's confident in the deposit that he put down on the inside of you. He's confident in himself. Early in the Ephesian age, Paul is writing, 2 Corinthians eleven two, For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste version to Christ. But I fear, lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtility, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. We already see what the enemy did in the Garden of Eden. He's trying to do again with this one. Brother Branham says, so way back there in the early church, a very short period after Pentecost, the false vine got to interwine itself around the true vine. And we find the deeds of the Nicolaitans. He says they got people to obey them until the time came that their way of worship did not any way at all resemble the early days after Pentecost. Sounds so familiar. Says it got them to where their worship did not in any way at all resemble the early days of Pentecost. And so Satan comes in and he attacks just like he did Eve and he changes one word here. And he changes one word there. And now the wolves have entered in. And it seems so subtle and innocent even at first, but, but soon deeds become doctrines. And before long, the church is aimed at, but relaxed. The church has left her first love. And there, there's a lukewarmness that has begun to creep in. And it has become nothing more than cold, formal worship. And the experience has been traded out for head knowledge. This is what happened to the first age. And once you do that, then the things that are taught from the pulpit can be changed and manipulated because there is no personal relationship with God. And because you don't have that relationship and you're relying on man to feed you, then when things that are wrong are said, that little alarm bell doesn't go off. Because you don't have, that's why they want you to trade in that personal relationship for head knowledge because head knowledge can be manipulated. 
Head knowledge can be changed. And over time, one little word here over a period of time, it's like those of you who've ever shot a gun. If it's off an inch at 50 yards, it's going to be off a lot of inches when it gets on down the range. So one word changed here and you begin to accept things that you wouldn't have because there is no Holy Ghost leadership in the church. So you're relying on men to provide you with what you need and they become your leader instead of the Holy Ghost. And now the divide between truth and what you're being fed grows exponentially. If you look from the day of Pentecost to just an age or two later, it doesn't even resemble the same thing. If you look at the Catholic church today and try to compare it to the church that was started on Pentecost, it's not even the same religion. It may be called Christianity, but it's not even the same religion. They're not followers of Christ. Because they accepted the leadership of man and they substituted the experience for head knowledge. Why do you think? Why do you think that those that operate underneath the spirit, even within our, our, our message, are so against you listening to other preachers? Because they need you to rely on them and their teachings and not come in contact with too much truth. They don't want you coming in, too, in contact with too much truth. Why are they so against you going to a meeting where the Holy Ghost is moving? Because unlike Paul, their desire is to espouse you to themselves and not to the Holy Spirit. So they build a fence around you and, and, and hold you to themselves under the guise of protection. I want to protect you from that stuff. I want to protect you from that moving. And in that time, Satan eats away until there's almost nothing left. Until it doesn't even resemble what God started in the upper room. Satan thinks to himself... This one's falling just like Eve. This wasn't hard. This took no time. Brother Brown said it wasn't long after the upper room. It had already wormed its way in. But the amen had already said, Brother Johnny, I'm going to have a bride. That's it. The rest. What is the rest of it? Drama. He'd already said, I'm going to have a bride. He had shown there in Eden how she would be when Adam said, this is bone of my bone. And this is flesh of my flesh. Church, we're going to be just like him. Men can come and teach head knowledge. Men can come and teach this and say that. But the ministry of the bride is going to match exactly to the ministry of the groom. She will be just like he is. She's going to be just like him. Oh, but, but Satan says, no, but look where she's fallen to. We haven't even got through the fourth age. It's the fourth church age. And it's so dark. There isn't hardly anything left from the original tree planted that day on Pentecost. But the amen said, I'm going to restore. Brother Branham says, but what? He was God's perfect prophet tree, the example tree, the bridegroom tree. Amen. Glory. I'm going to say something directly. If he's the bridegroom tree, do you believe it? From the Garden of Eden and the bridegroom tree without the female don't bear fruit. So he's got to have a bride tree. She's got to be born of the same material. The word made flesh in the tree. Hope you get it. It's the same life in this female tree. The bridegroom as it is in the bride. The works that I do shall you do also. Is that right? Yes. So he begins to restore. It's eaten down to nothing. It's eaten down to there's nothing left. It's all based on head knowledge. And the head knowledge has gotten a million miles away. But Luther breaks away from the false vine and he preaches justification. 
And then Wesley comes and he preaches sanctification. What is it? It's a tree being restored. It's the bride tree being built back up. And yet there were still claims that Satan could hold over the church. There were still false baptisms. There were still false teachings of the Godhead. The tree wasn't producing the fruits that God had intended it to produce. Yes, it had come a little ways and it had grown a little bit, but it still wasn't matching him. This was not bone of his bone. Although there were glimpses. There were glimpses of it. Oh, that's how it was. Oh, there's, there's a glimpse of it. And yet there were claims over that church. So what's he looking for? This was not the ministry of Jesus Christ being repeated. And that is what he's looking for. Brother Branham says there's got to come one in this last day, a restoration of the church, the bride tree that was eaten down back yonder by the canker worms and the palmer worms and all kinds of insects that eat all the brotherly love and fruits away from it. There's got to come a church again where those barriers will be broke and the Holy Ghost will have the right of way among the people. When you do, you will see the same signs and wonders that happened back there in them days. Thus, what the church was at Pentecost... Now listen, Brother Aaron, why do y'all harp so much on this? Uh, on the gifts and the moving of the Spirit. Why do you harp so much on, 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 on turn back to the original Pentecost? Listen to this. Thus, what the church was at Pentecost is the standard. That is the pattern. There is no other pattern. No matter what the scholars say, God has not changed that pattern. What God did at Pentecost, he has to keep on doing until the church ages close. So if you will admit that we are still in the church ages, that this is still the Laodicean age, he has to keep doing exactly what he did at Pentecost. That is the pattern of the church. We're not patterning after other people. We're not patterning after other churches. We're trying to pattern after the book of Acts church because that is the pattern. That is what we are to be. That is who we are to be. Luther came and Wesley came and there were glimpses, but it still wasn't the pattern. There still had to be more than the Azusa Street Revival and a restoration of gifts. Make no mistake about it, that was part of the restoration. And if God thought that it needed to be restored, then why in the world would we think it's not needed? God went through a lot of trouble to make sure it was restored, and then we went, no, we don't need that. Thanks, no, we're good. Really? God thought it needed to be restored. And if he thought it needed to be restored, then it must be needed. We don't need the gifts anymore. Those things are no longer very, even going on. You know, the very reason they had to be restored is if you would go back far enough into the first age, you would find people thinking just like that. We don't need that anymore. We don't need the speaking in tongues. Yeah, that happened a few years ago, you know, a few places. Uh, but we've moved beyond that. And now we have a deeper revelation of the word. And so those things are not, the tongues are not needed. Those things aren't needed. And so because of that attitude, they were lost. Church, we can't afford to lose anything that God has restored in this age because there ain't time to go through that process all over again. We're at the end. 
We got to grab a hold to everything God's given us, everything he restored and say, yes, that's mine. I'll take it. If God says it's mine, it's mine. If he says it's in the church, it's in the church. I'll take all of it. You may not think it's important, but if he thought it was important enough to restore, it must be something that I need in this last day. So I want it all and I want to take it. I want to hold on to it. We can't give back to the enemy what God has restored. And so once again, the Azusa Street move comes and once again, there are fruits of the spirit being manifested. The tree was beginning to take shape and yet there must come something else still. Something's missing. There's got to be something else, something to turn us. Turn us to what? Brother Burnham says, but what I said was that because of the unchanging God with unchanging ways, we can go back to the beginning and see the first and perfect act of God and then judge by that standard. Perfect act of God and judge by that standard. That is how it's done. The true church will always try to be like the original at Pentecost. The true church of today will try to approximate that early first one. And just like in every other instance, oh, something's lacking. We need something. Don't worry. He's already provided it. Just like in every other instance, the amen, the final say had already spoken and it was already laying right there in the word. He was already so many steps ahead of the enemy laying right there all these years in Malachi four or five. It says, behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts back to the faith of the fathers. And that message comes forth in power. And it called forth a restored bride with a restored word. And it restored her to a position to where I can stand here this morning and tell you that you are the manifestation of the spoken word of God. You are. That's good, brother Aaron. My God, I was wondering about that this morning. I don't think you were. You are the manifestation of the spoken word of God. Brother Branham says, and now remember you Christians were his thoughts before there was a world. And you are the manifestation of his thinking. Hallelujah. That does something to me. Maybe not to you, but I am the manifestation of God's thinking. I am part of his plans. I am part of what he laid out before the foundation of the world. Then what devil can stop me? What devil can hold me? What depression? What anxiety? What fear? What sickness? What death? What grace? None of it can stop me because I'm the manifestation of the very thinking of God once again in flesh upon the earth. What can stand in my way? Nothing can stand in my way. And now just like the time to where everything that was pointing to Jesus became flesh and he stood in a body upon the earth and he went about tearing down Satan's kingdom. He went about showing that death didn't have to be feared, that sickness didn't have to be feared. He showed that the grave didn't have any victory. And just as the groom did those things, just as the groom proved that he had the final say over the enemy. Now there is a bride, the manifestation of the word in flesh again, doing the exact same works. Death doesn't have to be feared. Sickness doesn't have to be feared. Sin doesn't have to be feared. We are him in flesh once again. The manifestation of the word in flesh again. And nothing can stand before you. Because you are the final say. You are the final say over the enemy. Devils, I recommend you get out of my way this morning. 
Because regardless of what you do and what attack you bring, I have the final say over you. I can take the word of God right now and put it upon my lips and it's the same as deity speaking. I curse you in the name of Jesus. Every spirit of fear, every spirit of depression, every spirit of suicide, every spirit telling these that they ain't going to make it. I am the final say over you. I rebuke you. I tell you to go. This is a church with victory, with life. We will be healed. We will be saved. We will have victory. We will rapture. Our young people are going. My mama's going. My dad is going. My children's going. Wow, I'll have the final say. I'll have say over this. I am a manifestation of the word in a body with my believing brothers and sisters. You have a say. It's not time to remain silent. It's not time to be pushed around, but rise to the occasion. Take your authority and speak what you have need of. Hallelujah. Brother Brown says they are one. Same word. The same word that spoke of the groom speaks of the bride. And as he being the groom, the bride has to come forth because it's part of him. And it can only be the manifestation of the fulfilling of all the revelations. Any others has spoke of the bride. That's a mouthful. It can only manifest if it does something different from the groom. It isn't the bride because she is flesh of his flesh, bone of his bone, life of his life, power of his power. She is him. Then I say prepare for the same results he got. Prepare for the same results he got. We have seen them and we will see more. We have seen the prodigals come home and we will see more. We have seen cancer defeated and we will see more. Hallelujah. We have seen the lame walk and we will see more. We have seen those filled with the Holy Ghost and we will see more because she is him repeating the ministry of Jesus Christ on the earth once again. A momentary consideration of the church history will prove how accurate this thought is. In the dark ages, the word was almost entirely lost to the people, but God sent Luther with the word. The Lutherans spoke for God at that time, but they organized. And again, the pure word was lost for organization tends towards dogma and creeds. They could no longer speak for God. Then God sent Wesley and he was the voice with the word in his day. The people who took his revelation from God became the living epistles read known of all men for their generation. When the Methodists failed, God raised up others. And so it has gone through the years until in this last day. There is again another people in the land who under their messenger will be the final voice to the final age. Why can he trust you with that? Because he knows you're not speaking your own thoughts. He knows that she is free from man's thinking. Because he has restored her to a place that he can trust her speaking for him. Restored you to a place, to such a perfect word that he can trust you speaking for him. What is it that's holding you this morning then? What's holding you? What Haman is coming against your life? What's coming and threatening your family? Come on, the only thing that would have hindered Esther is if she had not went in. But she had to finally quit looking at herself as unworthy and what if he don't accept me and what if and what if. And he had to go in. And once she did and once she confronted her Haman, he said, speak in my name and seal it with my ring. And whatever's done in my name and sealed with my ring, let no man stand before it. 
I say, what's your Haman this morning? What's coming against you and your family this morning? Speak in his name. Speak in his name and go forward. Seal it with his ring and go forward. Let the proclamation go forth. We will have victory. We can defend ourselves. We will slay the enemy. We will ransack their tents. We will take everything that was taken from us back. We will have joy and peace and victory. Speak it in his name and go forward. Do you realize how close Sometimes we look around and look how bad the world is. Oh, Satan, he's making, he's gaining ground. Do you realize how close Haman's plan was to succeeding and completely wiping out the Jewish race? It was right there until somebody said, I'm the queen. I have the right to speak. I'll raise up to the position. I won't back down. Had that one person not spoke, the race would have been wiped out. Maybe it's in your family. If you don't speak, your family will be wiped out. Maybe it's just you personally. But Mordecai said to her, said, don't think that just because you're in the palace, if you don't speak, that it's going to pass over you. You can't just sit back and go, maybe it'll skip me. Maybe it'll pass me. No, this lukewarm Laodicean spirit is coming for each and every one of us. It's coming after your homes and your children. But somebody's going to raise up and say, I'm the queen. I'll have the seal. I'll have the name of the king. I'll have the authority to speak. I am him. And I speak. You'll come no further. You stand still. Hallelujah. Sure, Satan thought the church was defeated, just like Haman thought, I've got them. We're right there at it. He thought, once again, I've won. The church has taken in the creeds of man, the ideas of man, false doctrines, false baptisms. But he said, I know my plans. He had spoken a restoration, and he had a message that would be the final say on all these claims against the church. He had a message that would produce a people that he could trust to speak for him. The message was the final say on the mysteries. That's what Revelation 10, 7 told us. It was the final say on the seals. It was the final say on water baptism. It was the final say on Godhead. It was the final say on no eternal hell. It was all the loose ends. It was the final say. It tied it all up. Luther couldn't have the final say. There were still too many claims on him. Wesley couldn't have the final say. There were still too many claims on him. The Pentecostals could not have the final say. There was too many claims on them. But in this day, in this generation, look, those ages couldn't have the final say because the whole word had not yet been restored back. So they could not have a final say with a partial word. So there had to be a prophet, a prophet that would come and stand there and receive a message from almighty God. A message that would come and break every claim and strip away everything that stood between you and full redemption and full manifestation. A prophet, the seventh church age messenger to restore all that had been lost. A prophet to reveal the seals. And then could the final say be spoken. Then could there come one who was the final voice to the final age. We couldn't be here without a prophet first speaking. Do you realize, have you ever thought that the message spoke you into existence? Had William Branham not come and this message not come, would we be here this morning? This bride, this group, this worldwide body spoken into existence by a message. No other age could do that. No other age could come. No other other age could have the final say. You say, well, praise God, the seals are open. Word is restored. That's why we don't need all your emotion like you have at Evening Light Tabernacle, all that stuff. 
the opening of the word is exactly what's bringing the emotion. That's exactly what we're excited about. Look, I don't like to run. Joe wanted so bad to say, obviously. I, I can't dance. I don't like to. And I'm, and I'm being carnal for a second. But when the spirit moves and I see my name in the Lamb's book of life and I can only see it there because the seals were ripped off and that's what's allowed me to see it, then it makes me get a little bit excited. I may come out my chair and run around the building. I may dance a little bit and guess what? I won't care even one little bit what you think about it because this is about me and my God. This is about my name. This is about eternity. This is about what he did for me. This is me. I'm part of the bride. I'm the manifested word. He did it all for me. I've got eternity. I'm going to live forever. I'm going to overcome. I'm going to make it. And it gets me excited. Excited enough to exercise a little bit. That's some excitement in my life. That's exactly what's bringing the emotion. John said, every creature which was in heaven and in the earth and under the earth heard I, John. He was shouting and screaming and praising the Lord. It brought emotion. David danced when the word was restored. That's what's bringing the emotion. I'm not emotional because you have not seen the opening of the word. You've got a head knowledge of it. You've been told the stories. But once you see it and you see you're there, that's me. Mama, that's me. Then it brings the emotion and the excitement. I have eternity. the age of finality in the days of the voice of the seventh angel when he shall begin to sound the mystery of God should be finished it's the age of finality it's all wrapped up the mystery is finished I say you make your calling and election sure trim the lamps apply the blood he said he'd send Malachi 4 he did it he said he would have a bride and he does he said the mysteries would be revealed. They are. There is a living, breathing, spoken word bride on the earth today. He says just as the church stands today, the true living church of God, without a denomination or anything else, she stands alone. But yet she's had the anointing poured on her. She knows what she is. He had Luther, Wesley, William Branham. A vindicated message by a vindicated prophet. Sure, there's going to be those that dispute it. There's going to be those that doubt the message. That'll say it isn't the truth. Or he was wrong here. He was wrong there. And they'll try to discredit it. But we're talking about the amen God. They've tried to discredit him from the beginning of time. But he's always a step ahead. He's always got his plans. I know the plans I've made. They're going to try to discredit it. But we're talking about the one who had the final say. Time after time, he would come down and back up what was preached in that service with an amen. He would come and move and he would discern hearts. And he would speak life and he would bring healing. And that was God coming in and going, amen. What was just preached? Amen. That's the truth. Here's the final say. Amen. 
and the amen of God would move and he would come and he would put his stamp of approval upon what had just been preached. Well, he didn't say this right. Well, he said it right enough that the angel of God felt comfortable enough to come down behind it and confirm what he just said. So if we're taking opinions, I mean, I'm going to go there. Well, I'm not sure he told this story right. He told it enough that the angel of God came down in the service and healed the sick, came down and discerned the thoughts and intents of the heart and said amen to what was said. You want to try to discredit it? And yet thousands upon thousands, if not millions, came night after night after night. And I would venture to say 99% of them did not agree with him and did not believe him. And yet never once with all those people there who would love nothing more than to see him discredited. Do you hear somebody go, that's not true. He said it wrong. Or somebody in the back holler, that was wrong right there. I know. No, not once. Listen, he wasn't preaching to message churches. He was preaching to people that would have loved to caught him in error. And couldn't. And now they're all gone and suddenly you got some kind of evidence. You've got something that you think you can present to me now that all the eyewitnesses have passed off the scene. You can produce some kind of so-called evidence. Look, in Noah's day, they produced evidence that it couldn't rain. But the I am God had the final say. The I am God is the finality of it, the absolute of it. And he said amen to this message. He said amen to this message. And aside from all that, I've seen what the message has produced. I see what the message produces. It produces the greatest young people in the world. It produces the greatest people in the world. It produces people with real, true love in their heart, overcoming sin, walking according to the word. And if you have a problem with that, I think I know where the problem lays. Brother Brown says, there it is. He's sending a vindicated prophet. He's sending a prophet after almost 2,000 years. He's sending someone who is far from organization, education, and the world of religion. That is John the Baptist and Elijah of old. He will hear only from God. And he will have thus saith the Lord and speak for God. He will be God's mouthpiece. And he, as it is declared in Malachi 4.6, will turn the hearts of the children back to the fathers. He will bring back the elect of the last day. And they will hear a vindicated prophet give the exact truth as it was with Paul. He will restore the truth as they had it. And those elect with him in that day will be the ones who truly manifest the Lord and be his body and be his voice and perform his works. Hallelujah. Do you see it? What's he saying? He's saying you're his hands. He's saying you're his feet. He's saying you are to be his voice and you are to perform his works. Oh, not me, brother Aaron. No, you're not talking about me. I've had a bad couple of weeks. I'm not, I'm not even sure I'm saved. I'm not you just don't know I, I'm not, that can't be about me because I mean I'm just I'm just struggling to 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 control my attitude hello flesh I don't like it it wars against us oh you don't understand I, I, I've struggled I fell down I messed up I got men the devil won on me the other day listen guys Christians are fighters It's what we do. We're in a fight. And guess what? Sometimes in a fight, you get hit. Sometimes you get hit. And that's okay. You stepped into the... Look, anybody can step into the ring. But can you answer the bell? 
Anybody can step into the ring, but when you step into the ring, you're going to have fights and you're going to get hit. And sometimes you get hit and it makes you feel like you want to quit. But there's something on the inside of you that says, I can't quit. I got to stand here. I got to keep throwing. I got to keep swinging. I got to keep fighting. I got hit again. That's okay. That doesn't mean I'm not a Christian. It doesn't mean the devil's going to win. It just means he landed a blow and I messed up, but I'm going to keep fighting. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to read for a minute. I'm going to encourage myself. There's the bell. Ding, ding, ding. I'm coming back out. I'm going to fight another round. I'm going to stand another round with the enemy. I'm not backing up. I'm not quitting. I know you might have had a bad week, a bad two weeks, a bad month, but don't quit. Don't give up everything that the Lord's already done for you because of a bad day. Just get up and keep going. Keep fighting. Keep pressing. Let that deposit on the inside of you keep punching out and keep feeding and you're going to win the fight. These are the championship rounds. They get difficult. The attacks get harder. But this is what we train for. This is why we're here. Because you're going to win. You're going to overcome. You're going to land the knockout blow. It's who you are. I got punched a lot in the last couple of weeks too. It didn't mean I wasn't a Christian. It meant I was in a fight. We're fighters. It's time to dig in our heels. We got work to do. We got things to conquer. We got to step up to the plate and begin doing what the word said we were going to do. Oh, I messed up. The devil said, I started to say shut up, but tell the devil to shut up. Not you. Quit speaking the devil's language. Like Mordecai said to Esther, it's time to act now. It's time to act now. It's time to go on the attack. It's time to quit sitting back and playing defense. Quit sitting back and just letting him lie bomb after bomb after bomb after bomb. I say, there he is. There's the enemy. There's that one that's been tormenting you. There's depression. There's anxiety. There's fear. There's sin. There's the thing that's been coming at you at night trying to torment you about your family. There's the one coming at you at night telling you you're not going to make it. Or your brother's not going to. There's the one not allowing you to sleep peacefully at night. There, I say go get him. I say quit sitting there letting him torment you. I say get up. Take the armor of the word and put the word on your lips and attack him and say I won't stand for it no more. You've had all my peace you're going to have. You've had all my joy you're going to have. You want, hey, you want some peace? You want some peace? You want a piece of me? You want a piece of this word? I say, I'm coming out to take what you've been robbing from me. I'm not going to sit back and take it anymore. You wanted some. You got the whole thing. We're coming out. We're coming at you. We're not scared. We're armed. We're dangerous. We're the bride of Christ. We're here to fight. We're not backing up. We're not giving in. Hallelujah. We're overcoming. Oh, blessed be the name of the Lord. You want to fight? We're here today. We're answering the bell. We're fighters. It's what we do. Hallelujah. Speak healing. Speak joy. Speak victory. Speak what you have need of. Because you're the final voice in this situation. You have the authority to do so. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You speak to your mountain. Let your mountain hear your voice this morning. There is a bride. I'm going to go through this part quickly. And there are many claiming that they are that bride. Or that they are part of that bride. And it's not for me or you to say whether they are or aren't. But what I can do is I can look into the word. 
And I can see what the bride will do. And what the bride will produce. And how the bride is to conduct herself. And then I can make sure that I'm lining up to that. As Brother Tim put it so perfect last week, you must line up to the vision. You can't be part of that group that is the final voice to the final age and not be matching him word for word. You can't be speaking things contrary to the word and be part of the final voice. Your attitude can't be us four and no more. You're not part of the final voice. If your attitude is to put others out because they don't agree with you, you're not part of the final voice. Matter of fact, Brother Branham says, now isn't that just like the Nicolaitans that we have with us today? They curse everyone that don't go their way. When all you know is condemning others, it shows that you yourself have never experienced the grace of God in your own life. Listen, I don't know where people got it twisted But this whole message is a message of grace. That's what this message is, is grace. Brother Brown says, I believe that we are now living in the last day. I believe that this is the last message, this message of grace that God has given to his church. And I believe that any time Christ could come, that's why I'm here tonight trying my best to call to every side of the world. And all that I can do to let people see that he is true and living God and that he is the only door. People get it so mixed up and they want to turn it into a message of judgment. Sure, it warns of judgment. It's a warning of judgment. It warns to flee from the wrath that is to come. It warns not to be partakers of the plagues. But that warning is grace to you. It is grace to you. It comes forth shouting grace, grace. That's what the message came to say. Listen, people think, well, boy, Noah's message was it's going to rain. Noah's message was there's an ark. Noah's was not a message of judgment. It was a message of grace. There's judgment coming, but there's grace for you. There's a door available to you. You know, I've always loved it that when you read about the ark, it tells very specific dimensions about everything. Everything. But there's no measurements on the size of the door. I got a lot of baggage. I got a lot of things weighing me down. I've got doors big enough door's big enough. You don't understand what I've been through and the sin that's been, door's big enough for you this morning. And it's open. Just come on in. Just come on in. That's what the message is, is get in the ark. Get in the ark. It's not, yep, if you're, you're going to burn in hell. Nicolaitans. The message is, get in the ark this morning. Noah's message was a message of grace. Brother Branham called the messengers down to Sodom messengers of grace. And we tend to look at it and go, ooh, they rained fire and brimstone. No, they came and rescued people before the fire and brimstone fell. This is a message of grace. If you're preaching that mercy is over, you are not part of the final voice. You can't fall in that category and be preaching that mercy's over. If you preach division, if you speak against your brothers, you are not part of the final voice. Brother Brown says, and today the only thing that will break down the barriers, the only thing that can melt us together as brothers and Christians, the only thing that can bring us together again is the Spirit of God or the love of God that shed abroad in our hearts a message of grace from God that we are not divided. All one body are we. God heals them just the same as whatever they are. We are not divided. Well, Brother Aaron, you don't know this doctrine they're preaching over there. But this over here, they're just a little different. Well, they came to Jesus and asked about a situation like that one time. And he said, if they're not against us, 
They're for us. If they're not against us, they're for us. How about we focus on you getting right? And focus on getting your family right. And then focus on making sure you're being fed right. And then, that doesn't mean I'm I'm not worried about others. I'm talking about quit worrying about everybody else's problems and trying to fix them. Let God deal with them. If you truly feel like there's an error, pray for them. Telling me about it helps them none. It helps them none. Yes, judgment is coming. But there's mercy. What would the bridegroom be saying? I'll tell you exactly what he'd be saying. Forgive them. They know not what they do. That's exactly what he'd be saying. Listen, judgment's coming. Yet judgment was upon the Jews. It was literally the very closing of the Jewish dispensation. Judgment was there. And what was he speaking? Father, forgive them. And so here we are in the closing of the Gentile dispensation. His bride's going to be speaking the same thing. Not like they're going to burn. No, Father, forgive them. Father, show them grace. Father, show them mercy. The same mercy you showed me. The same grace you showed me. The same love you showed me. Bring them in, Father. Bring them into the ark. That's the message. Point them to Jesus. Tell them there's mercy. Tell them there's grace. If your life is speaking judgment upon your brother, you're not in the final voice. Pointing out their flaws. You know, some people hate when a person is looked at highly by a group of people and yet they feel like they know the real them. Yeah. Oh, everybody likes them, but I, I, I know the real them. I know this and it burns them up to see somebody respected. And oh, I know this. I know this. And what you are is you find yourself on the side of the accuser of the brethren. And you're not part of the final voice to the final age. The final voice will speak as the groom did and offer forgiveness. And healing because she will match him. You cannot be part of the final voice and claim that the days of miracles is past. You can't be part of the final voice and not see that John 14, 12 is for this day. Mark 16 in action. There are things that the final say in the final voice will be saying. Those things are, if we lay hands on the sick, they shall recover. If we resist the devil, he will flee. We can cast out devils. We can tear down Satan's kingdom. You can receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. You can be healed today. You can be saved today. Your family can be saved. That's the final voice. That's the final say. There's grace. There's mercy. Bring them in. There's salvation. There's healing. There's deliverance. Bring them in. Why do you think the attack is so bad against the Holy Ghost today and the moving of the Spirit and, 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 the, and the experience of the Holy Ghost? Because Satan saw what it did to the first church age when he robbed it from them. And now for the first time in thousands of years, he sees another church that resembles what he saw back there. When Christians were dangerous, I'd like to tell him we're back. I'd like to tell him we're back again. Back then, Christians were dangerous and he wanted to rob them of the power. But there's another group on the earth today that has the same power. Satan, we're back. We're back on the earth again, manifested once again. And he wants to rob that from you because he saw how effective it was in the first age. It was the dynamics that proved in the groom who he was. There were a lot of great teachers. There were a lot of men crucified, but it was the dynamics of the resurrection that proved who he was. And it will be the dynamics in the bride that proves who she is. Ooh, come on, somebody. 
The final voice, the voice of the groom expressed through the bride. I'm going to try to start bringing this down. Listen to this. The stumps growed from Wesley, from Luther to Wesley to Pentecost. And now is honing out those Pentecostals and those that got the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And shall come someday the headstone. Christ Jesus in these last days and will have to have a ministry just exactly like his. His whole spirit as it gets closer, closer, closer the negative becomes so positive that after a while the negative and the positive blends together. The church and Christ to make one. For we're flesh of his flesh. We're bone of his bone. Amen. You believe it? It shall be light in the evening time. He says but look Right where that headstone's supposed to fit, it's honed. If they could ever find that headstone, it would fit just so perfectly snug, it would bind the whole thing together. That's the bride of Jesus Christ. When the headstone comes, there will be a church there on earth to receive it, and it'll have a ministry just exactly like his. It'll just go right in there, bringing up the feet, Luther and all the rest of them for the resurrection. Somebody's got to step up and play the part. Oh, y'all in trouble now. I found two more bottles of water. Somebody's got to start stepping up and playing the part. It's been seen. It's been spoken. And it's only drama now. But who's going to play the parts? Somebody's going to quit allowing their, going to quit allowing their flesh to talk them out of it. Somebody's going to quit allowing their complexes to talk them out of it. Look, we've had enough of flesh speaking. It's time that that, that, that the deposit that's on the inside overtake the flesh. And we allow that deposit to begin speaking instead of our flesh. Because that deposit is going to agree with the word. That deposit is going to say what the word said. Because that deposit is just as eternal as the word is eternal. The deposit on the inside of you will agree with the word. Listen. As we begin to bring this down, you have not only been given the authority to speak, you have been commanded to speak. Back to our opening verses, Revelation 10, 8, and I'm not going to read all of them, but I'm going to skip through. It says, go and take the little book, which is open. Notice we have an open book. In the hand of the angel which standeth upon the sea and upon the earth. Verse 9 says, take it and eat it up, and it shall make thy belly bitter, but it shall be in thy mouth sweet as honey. Verse down, down to verse 11. And he said unto me, thou must prophesy again before many peoples, nations, tongues and kings. This is the ministry of the bride. Once the book has been opened, there's the open book. There's a group of people that have taken it out of the hand. But now they have something to say. They have a ministry to speak. Brother Branham's asked, will the bride have a ministry? He says, the bride of Christ. Certainly, that's what's going on right now. It's the message of the hour. The bride of Christ, sure, she consists of apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists, and pastors. Is that right? That's the bride of Christ. Sure, she's got a ministry, great ministry. It's the ministry of the hour. And yet it'll be so humble. That's what the final voice to the final age is. The final voice to the final age is the ministry of Christ repeated in a people. What was the final voice to the Jewish dispensation? The ministry of Christ. What will be the final voice to the Gentile dispensation? The ministry of Christ. What he did, she will do. What he conquered, we will conquer. Where he overcame, we will overcame. And where he resurrected, we have, over, we have resurrected. I listened a lot this week to his The Rising of the Sun. And Brother Brown would say, what a resurrection that was. But what a resurrection this is. 
Here we are. Listen, he says he proved what he was. Now this is back to it was the dynamics that proved who the groom was. And it'll be the dynamics that prove who the bride is. He says he proved what he was. Anyone could die. But it takes God to raise again. In his life, he looked like God. He preached like God. He healed like God. He acted like God. He was God. And he proved on Easter morning that he was God. He was more than a man. He wasn't a prophet, yet he was a prophet. He was a good man, but yet he was more than a good man. He was God. And so this is the day in memorial of his resurrection that he proved it. When he was here on earth, there never was a birth like his. There never was a death like his. And there never was nobody raised from the dead like that. He proved what he was. When he was here on earth, he said he was God. He acted like God. He preached like God. He healed like God. He rose from the dead like God. He proved he was God. He was more than a philosopher. He was more than a teacher. He was more than a scholar. He was more than a prophet. He was God. That's who he was. And it was the resurrection that proved he was God. It was the dynamics that proved he was God. It wasn't just the teaching. It wasn't just his doctrine. It was the dynamics of resurrection power that proved he was almighty God. It was the dynamics that caused him to resurrect. It was the dynamics. He said it won't just move no matter how good the mechanics is until the dynamics come. When the dynamics come, that fire is made to connect with the octane in the gasoline. And when that explodes, it causes a combustion. And that combustion moves every motion and every move. For he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's the resurrection. That's the real power of God. Mechanics with dynamics. The gasoline represents the word. It's the truth. But without the spirit, it won't move. We have put too much stress on the mechanics and nothing on the dynamics. It needs the dynamic power of God. The resurrection power of Jesus Christ upon the church to manifest and to bring to pass. This is gasoline. It might be a gasoline can, but it could still be water. But the only proof of it is put some life on it and it'll prove whether it's gasoline or not. Come on, church. Here we are. It was the dynamics that proved whether or not he was the groom. And it'll be the dynamics that'll prove whether or not you're the bride. Just as the dynamic power of the resurrection proved he was, so will it prove who she is. Oh, come on. Not just the correct doctrines which we have, but the dynamic power of the resurrection working in our midst. Healing the sick, saving the lost, filling people with the Holy Ghost. And all of it happening through each and every one of you. His bride. The manifestation of the word once again here upon the earth. Look, Satan, I don't think you know who you're messing with. This just isn't some other denominational church fly by night that's going to lay down and quit. But this is a church seen in the vision. This is a church who is in the thoughts of Almighty God. This is a people that are bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh. And even as he thwarted you, every time he came in contact with you, so will she. We will overcome you in your own Laodicea, in your own Eden. All of it happening right now in his bride. What a match. What a match. Doing his works, speaking his word. The Lord Jesus manifested in a bride body, armed and dangerous. The final voice in a bride, declaring he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Dynamic power, proving once again that he lives. 
I thought about that and I was looking at that and I said it was dynamic power that resurrected the Lord Jesus from the grave. It was dynamic power that morning that proved that he was the, the groom because he raised from the grave. And it's going to be dynamic power one of these mornings that takes us in a rapture and proves who we are. You talk about a proving. You talk about a final say. I say let them mock. Let them make fun. Let them ridicule. Let them say this. There's going to be a final say coming one of these mornings. It's going to be dynamic power. It's going to be dynamo in the bride of Jesus Christ. The same power that raised him out of the grave is going to take you up off the earth. The final say. Rapture day. Those in the bride will do only his will. No one can make them do otherwise. They have thus saith the Lord or they keep still. They know that it has to be God in them doing the works, fulfilling his own word. He did not complete. Now listen to this. Here's the point I've been wanting to get to. He did not complete all his work while in his earthly ministry. So now he works in and through his bride. She knows that for it was not yet time for him to do certain things that he must now do. But he will now fulfill through the bride that work which he left for this specific time. We got some conquering to do. We got some devils to defeat. We got some overcoming to do. We got blind eyes to come open. We got loved ones that we're going to call back. We got some healings and deliverances even in this service that we got to do because it's his work working through us. It's his bride manifested in the flesh. So much. So how much resurrection power is going to be in that bride? How much? So much so that you will call for the general resurrection. Well, that power in him caused the first resurrection. What's the power in you going to cause? That resurrection, Brother Branham says, say to this mountain, and you've heard about what's been taking place. That's the ministry that we're entering into. We're, we're way up the road now. Soon the coming of the Lord Jesus. And we've got to have rapturing faith in a church that can be changed in a moment, a twinkle of an eye, or will not go. But don't worry. Don't worry. I know what plans I have. Don't worry. It'll be there. It'll be there. And when the power of this church rises, it'll bring its brethren. And the power of that church rises will bring its The power of this church, when it rises to the place it's supposed to be, it's going to bring its brethren. And the power of that church will bring the other brethren. Then there'll be a general resurrection. We're looking forward to it. The voice of God so strong in a people that it's calling for a resurrection. The voice of God, it's a group of people that's calling for resurrection power to operate within them. Lord, I need that power today. And it's what we need each day and I'm calling for it. And I need it tomorrow and this one's calling for it. And this one's calling for it. And you're calling for resurrection power. And I need it in this situation. And I need it in that situation. And then it's a life so close. A life that's so full of the power of the resurrection. And there's thousands of these lives. Thousands of them calling for it. I need resurrection power, Brother Joe. You need resurrection power. And you're calling for it. And I'm calling for it. And thousands of lives calling for resurrection power. And he's calling her. And she's calling him. And there's a drawing. And up from the ground they're going to come. Oh, hallelujah. Resurrection power in the bride of Jesus Christ. Woo, what a perfect match. What a perfect match. He's calling me and I'm calling him and up from the ground they're going to come. I say it's a perfect match because when my groom stood there at the grave of Lazarus, Brother Brown said had he not called him by name, it would have called the general resurrection. But it wasn't time yet. 
but it is now. A group of people, I say call it. I say call it. I say call for that resurrection power. Call for it in your life. Call for it in your home. Call for it for your needs. Call for him to come close to you. And as he begins to call you and begins to draw you, that same power is going to draw the dead in Christ right up out of the grave. Are you ready to be that people? Are you ready to be that people this morning? Will you stand with me? Stand with me. Is there somebody here that will give him praise today and say, Lord, I'm ready to be that people. I'm ready to be the manifestation of the word. I'm ready for you to speak through my life. I'm ready to do your works. Lord, I see in the word what the bride's supposed to be. I see how she's supposed to act. I see the power that's supposed to be there, and I want that. I'm calling for that resurrection power. I'm calling to you, Lord. If I don't got it, fill me. I need more of it. And when there's enough lives calling for it. Oh, hallelujah. He begins to pull him down out of glory, and he begins to pull her up off this earth. The resurrection's going to take place. The dead in Christ. So when this corruptible shall put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Death swallowed up in victory. What is that? Jesus conquered that. No, no, no. Death took, Jesus took the stinger from death. But it's his bride that never tastes death whatsoever. And death is swallowed up in victory. What a promise. What a word. What a people. And I say she's standing on the earth today doing the works of God, ready to say, death, you are swallowed up in victory. The final say in the final voice, the same power in the bride. I ask you today, what will you speak? What will you speak? Amen. Will you bow your heads with me, Father? Lord, you promised that if the same spirit raised up Jesus from the dead, dwell in us, it would quicken also our mortal bodies. Lord, I want to be diligent. Lord, I want to match you. Lord, we can't be pretending. Can't be pretending when it comes time for a resurrection. Can't be pretending when it comes time for a rapture. Lord, I know you weren't pretending that day at the grave of Lazarus. Lord, you weren't pretending that day at Calvary. You weren't pretending when you went down to hell. Oh, and you weren't pretending when you resurrected. Lord, I don't want to be a pretender. But Lord, let me be diligent. Lord, let me be diligent. There's got to be a people tearing Satan's kingdom down. Lord, I want to match that. Lord, the closing words of the Jewish dispensation, you cried out, it is finished. And I believe it is finished. We'll close out this one. As Satan's kingdom is completely destroyed by a bride who has thus saith the Lord. And we know what you want done with it. Lord, help us all to come to that place. Lord, we're all at different places along the walk. But Lord, once again, I want to cry out, there's mercy and there's grace. There's salvation and there's healing. Lord, I want to match you and what you cry and what you're saying. I want to match you so perfectly, Lord, that you give me the authority to speak in your name. Lord, how we love you and how we thank you and how we believe, Lord God, that you're coming so soon. Lord, I ask for each heart gathered here, if there's one that doesn't know you, Lord, may you draw nigh to them now. Lord, each and every one of us that have a relationship with you, Lord, may we take another step and draw another step closer, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Do you love him? Before I leave, I want to read you this quote. It is finished. There is now therefore no condemnation. Why should the church fear? What promises has he ever failed to manifest before us? Why should it fear punishment or death? 
It has all been overcome. Here is the mighty conqueror. Here is the one who conquered both worlds of the seen and the unseen. Not like Alexander who conquered the world at the age of 33 and knew no other way to turn for further conquest. So he died a victim of sin and riotous living. Not like Napoleon who conquered all Europe but finally was defeated at Waterloo and banished to Elba only to find himself conquered. But nothing could conquer Christ. He that descended has now ascended above all and unto him has been given a name that is above every name. Yes, he conquered death, hell, and the grave and has the keys thereof. What he looses is loosed and what he binds is bound. There is no changing of it. There was no conqueror before him and there is none beside him. He alone is the Savior, Redeemer. He is the only God and the Lord Jesus Christ is his name. All my power is yours. My omnipotence is yours as I stand in your midst. I have not come to bring fear and failure, but love and courage and ability. All power is given unto me and it is yours to use. So you speak the word and I will perform it. That is my covenant and it can never fail. The final say and the final voice. God bless you church. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah.
Jesus Christ.